My name is GM Goshkarian. Today I am conducting an interview with Vahe Tashjan in the framework of the podcasts of the Society of Armenian Studies. Vahe is a historian who was born in Beirut, studied at the University of Louvain, and did his doctorate in Paris at the UHESS. He now lives in Berlin. He recently wrote a book that has been talked about a great deal in the last two years called Daily Life in the Abyss, Genocide Diaries 1915-1918, to which was published in a series of books um, dedicated to various genocides, the Armenian Genocide, the Jewish Genocide, the Genocide of the Roma and Sinti, and so on, by Bak on books in New York. Today we're going to be talking mainly about um, this book and a little bit about the context as well. So let me start by asking you, Vahe, uh, what led you to engage in this project? Thank you, Mikael. When I started the project, I was in Paris at that time, and uh, I started the project uh, when I was working in the Nubayron Library. And you know the Nubayron Library is a place where there are many documents about the Armenians' genocide time. And at that time, my, my project was to focus uh, or to, to study the whole situation of the Armenian deportees in Bilad Sham. That means the, the area uh, south of Cilicia until the Sinai Peninsula, all these former Arabic uh, uh, provinces, uh, uh, not the and uh, not the desert, not the Mesopotamia, but the, the other side, the western uh, part of the uh, present-day Middle East. So that was uh, my project, to, uh, to study the situation of the Armenians in this area. Uh, so I started to uh, to read man, many memoirs written by Armenians, uh, documents, uh, archives, uh, all about the Armenian situation in Bilad Sham. Uh, then uh, I found these two diaries. Uh, one is written by uh, Bogarian, uh, Krikor Bogarian, and the other one is written by. Uh, Nerses Tavukcian, uh, Father Nerses Tavukcian, both of, of them are from Aintab. They were deported in Syria uh, and they lived in uh, similar places, first in Hama, then in Salamia. And they wrote uh, or they, they took diaries, they kept diaries during the genocide time. And uh, it was fascinating. So it was fascinating. Uh, uh, texts about their daily life in uh, this area and uh, I changed the project. I was so fascinated by the content of, this, uh, of these two diaries. I changed the, uh, my project and instead of studying the broader area, I started to focus only on two points and two families and, uh, uh, and the main uh, object of my study became these two diaries. Are there other studies of this sort? in the historiography of the Armenian genocide? In the Armenian case, I don't think so. Uh, of course, there are in Holocaust studies, it's a, it's a, 
It's a discipline that is very much developed now, but in the Armenian uh, studies and genocide studies, I think uh, it's, uh, it should be uh, the first uh, work in historical reconstruction based on uh, two memoirs or two diaries. I, I don't think that uh, exists uh, already. And to what kind of work is it comparable then, your work? Uh, of course, uh, I was very much inspired by the works of uh, the theoretical works of uh, Mark Neshanian or Krikor Beledian, who wrote many very much interesting uh, uh, articles and books uh, about uh, the place of the memoirs, the place of uh, autobiographical works in, uh, in, uh, to, to study the Armenian genocide. And uh, this was very much inspiring for me. Uh, but in the same time, uh, uh, during that time, during my research time, I was reading uh, books uh, from the Holocaust studies, like uh, the works of Primo Levi, Svetlan uh, Todorov. Uh, there was also uh, other kind of books based on uh, uh, diaries or archival documents, but uh, focusing only on one person. That's, that's, the, that's the work, for example, of uh, Carlo Ginzburg, or the work uh, of uh, uh, Laurel Thatcher Ulrich. Uh, these are very phenomenal works where you can see that uh, uh, through one diary or through one uh, uh, trial documents, they are reconstructing uh, a whole life, a whole period, and giving insight information about uh, a whole period. So th that was very much phenomenal works for me, and uh, they became really inspirational. And uh, I can say that I was very inspired of such works. I decided to do something similar based on Armenian uh, uh, di uh, diaries, and uh, this time in the sphere of uh, Armenian genocide. I don't know the, that work, but I do know Primo Levi's work, for example. Are these diaries, Tavukjan's and Buharian's diaries, comparable to Levi's work? Which is really not simply a diary, but a, a whole philosophy of the Holocaust, one might say. Mm -hmm. I have two answers uh, to that question. The, uh, the first one, uh, I cannot compare Buharian's work to such works that you are uh, mentioning. Uh, because Bogarian at that time, uh, he was uh, a student. He was an 18-year-old uh, young Armenian who was deported, and he was at the last uh, year of his school. And when he came to uh, Bilad Sham, when he came to Salamia, and then to, to Hama, uh, he, he started to keep a diary. Uh, and for him, keeping diary was, uh, was, was a factor or was a mean uh, to be connected to his intellectual life. And so for him, I think that uh, keeping a diary was, uh, was a continuation of his, uh, of his school uh, days, that he was, he was a very brilliant uh, uh, school children, uh, student, and uh, he wanted to, uh, to have intellectual uh, uh, life also in the deportation. So he, he kept a diary, he started to translate books, and uh, different books and with his uh, friends, with his school friends, with his school teachers. And you can see that uh, during the first day, years of the deportation, f f uh, mainly the first year of the deportation, 1915, and uh, he was deported in June 1915 or September 1915. And from this time until uh, 1916, this kind of intellectual works was a part of his daily life. 
but uh, his uh, his diary i cannot say that it's uh, full reach with uh, comments analysis about the life of the armenians in deportation it's much more about uh, chronological information about his daily uh, daily life the prices of the foods the bread the rice the bulgur this kind of information which are uh, really very important to uh, to study the whole period because uh, through this information we can also reconstruct how uh, uh, how the economical crisis affected uh, every armenian deported family uh, in in that in that area and this kind of information uh, it's through uh, bogarian's diary that we are getting them but concerning tavukchan's diary and i think that this is a very uh, important for me that uh, it was the first time that uh, i was discovering an armenian work a diary where you can find not only chronological information chronological narration of events but here you can also find penetrating views of the inner spaces of the deportees lives or sociological or philosophical commentary or profound analysis so this is the work that i can compare with any other uh, major works uh, that could be primo levi's uh, works or other works that uh, became really uh, uh, important to understand the daily life of the uh, holocaust survivors uh, in nazi camps so we have here another work at this time uh, written by tavukjan himself that is uh, very much similar to uh, to such cate- uh, category of works so this is this was very important and it i was really enjoy to work on on this uh, uh, diary even uh, although it's it's very difficult to to read it because it's uh, it's the it's the description of the uh, decline of the catastrophe uh, in very uh, vivid words uh, but here it's also important because the analyses are very profound the commentaries are very important you know most of my own family Uh, was simply killed in 1915. The survivors were a small minority of the people in my family. These people obviously weren't. How is that? Mm, yes, this is a very important question to to understand uh, the different uh, uh, category of uh, uh, deportation routes and uh, how Armenia survived uh, during this this period. and uh, we know that many armenians were killed directly in their living uh, in in their in their native places for example if kharpert uh, there was already some massacres uh, in the outskirts of kharpert uh, but we know also that many armenians were deported to the the derzor area uh, the 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 desert of uh, syria and there were also massacres there but we know also there that there there was a deportation uh, route deportation uh, uh, to the bilad sham region and bilad sham region as i said is the region south of silesia uh, the the western part of the present day middle east including uh, the west of syria aleppo hama homs uh, damascus or jordan uh, like amman and until the uh, uh, sinai peninsula so this whole region uh, was under the command uh, during world war 1 of the ottoman fourth army and its chief commander ahmed jemal pasha and uh, 
So we know that the deportees arrived in this region were not subject of mass slaughter. And this was in contrast to the neighboring region of Derzor, which is just a nearby region uh, on the uh, eastern side of Bilad Sham, where we know that the most violent collective massacres of deportees happened during the same uh, period. So yes, there was a relative security that Armenians enjoyed in Bilad Sham, and this is the case of uh, the, uh, our, the families of two diar uh, diarists. Uh, there, there, uh, there weren't massacres in that region, and Jamal Pasha later in his memoirs tried to create the impression that he had purely humanitarian motives uh, for taking the deported Armenians into his protection in Bilal Sham. But uh, one of, uh, I think that one of the main uh, idea of my works was uh, to show also that uh, this wasn't a humanitarian policy to deport a whole population from uh, its uh, native place and to deport them and to place them, to relocate them in a, in a completely uh, foreign uh, environment and uh, without any uh, help from the state. And, uh, and so in this case, as we see in our two diaries, uh, two diarists' uh, uh, daily jottings, that uh, the life really was very much difficult in this area. And we know that in each of these families, there were many, uh, many deaths, not uh, because of massacres, but because of uh, malnutrition, because of uh, epidemics, because of uh, many other difficulties of daily life that they suffered in this area. So it wasn't a humanitarian policy. It was, again, another way, uh, a continuation of the genocide, but in different way. How did Tavukchan himself see that? Was he aware that he was being deported to his death or to what was intended to be his death? Or did he see it as a deportation, as it was supposedly? Uh, I think it's, it's difficult to say, because it's, uh, not everything is very clear in these texts. Uh, but uh, if we read it uh, very carefully, this text, we can... We can we uh, we have the we have the impression that uh, at the first uh, months they uh, they are not aware that uh, it's a policy of genocide that they are subject of a genocidal uh, uh, policy and they are thinking that uh, this is a deportation a temporary deportation that they will be back in a couple of months this is what uh, for example not tabukjam but bogarian is thinking he's he's always thinking that in a couple of months he will go back to antap and continue his his school there uh, uh, until when they received some information from Derzor. And, uh, and this happened a couple of months after their deportation, when they arrived in, uh, in, uh, in Syria, in Hama and Salamiya. And some news came, uh, 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 and this we can see in the, in the, in the, in the diaries, uh, some news came from, uh, from Derzor. And, uh, and uh, based on this news, they are much more conscious that uh, this is something different. This is something completely radically different that is happening in their life. This would have been in 1915 or in 1916? Uh, it's 1916. Mm -hmm. And then how did their lives change or how did their attitude change? Uh, it's... Uh, it's, this is something very uh, obvious in, 
in the diary of uh, of Bogarian, who, as I said, who, who took uh, information, who took uh, notes of uh, the price of uh, main foods in this region. Uh, it's differently existent also, or uh, very much manifest in in the in the diary of uh, of Tavukjan. Uh, uh, but in his case, it's through his comments, it's through his analysis that something is changing in their life and this change happened in 1917 because until 1916 uh, uh, there wasn't a very much profound, a very much uh, important economic crisis in, the, in this region but starting 1917 we can see that the prices the price of foods, of, uh, some basic foods, for example, the the uh, the, the bread, the 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 bulgur, which was also a part of their daily uh, food, uh, it's there is a increase of prices, sometimes uh, uh, arriving at thousand percent, which is which is really uh, fundamental uh, change in their daily life, and this happened in 1917, and from 19 17 onwards until the uh, the uh, the let's say the liberation of uh, of this region by the allied forces we can see the the image of decline uh, very much very profoundly uh, analyzed and commented by Tavukjian himself in his diary so the decline the real decline started in 1917 in the life of the deportees in the Biladesham region you mean the physical decline? Uh, not only physical. It's uh, if uh, we are, uh, if uh, our so my my information is based on uh, on Tavukjan's diary, and he's talking not only about physical decline. He's talking also about a moral decline, uh, a moral decline that, uh, uh, for example, the. The mutual help, uh, the mutual help between uh, the compatriots. They are they are coming both of uh, these people are coming from Aintab and they continue to live as a community in in, in Hama and Salami as Aintab community. And in, until 1916, we can see that uh, this mutual help very much existent. But uh, when the crisis happened, uh, took place in 1917, and from then onwards, uh, there is also a decrease in the mutual help. And for him, for Bogarian, uh, for for uh, Tavukjan, this is also an image of uh, uh, of the moral decline of the refugees, of the deportees. How did they manage to survive? Those who did, uh, they found different ways of uh, uh, of, uh, of surviving. Uh, and uh, if uh, in the nineteen until nineteen sixties that uh, survival was based on mutual help between compatriots between uh, compatriots from Aintab, for example, uh, uh, nineteen uh, seventeen onwards, it's much much more uh, inner family uh, uh, mutual help. Uh, and uh, first, I'm not sure that it will be. Uh, it will be correct to say that they survived because if we see the the family of Tavukjian, there are many deaths in their family. His uh, his own uh, baby uh, child uh, died during that period. Uh, he, uh, his brother died. The the, the the family of his brother, uh, wife, uh, also children died. All of them. 
uh, and most of them in 1917 during this uh, crisis. Uh, so I'm not sure to say that really they survived, but those who survived, it's, it's again, it's by doing some uh, moral concessions, as I'm using here the, the term of... Uh, the term of Tavukchan himself, moral concessions, and in these moral concessions there is also a very major event that happened uh, during that period, is the conversion of Armenians to Islam, and that was obligatory, it was a forced uh, conversion, and uh, most of the deportees of Armenian deportees in Bilal al-Sham followed that, uh, that order, and they were converted to Islam. There's a considerable literature on the Armenian genocide. I've read a good part of it. One doesn't hear too much about that kind of thing. Do you agree? Have I read the wrong books? I haven't read too much about the Islamicization of the Armenians. And I haven't really read too much, except for Andonian, mm -hmm. about the moral degeneration of the Armenians. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of stories about heroic resistance. I think it's it's uh, part of the survival process, yeah. And if really in extreme conditions, uh, somebody really is uh, has, has the will to survive, it's uh, there are many moral concessions to uh, to make uh, in in this process. It's not an ordinary life, the extreme conditions, and uh, it's not it's the same in the uh, Nazi camps. We know the the very rich literature of. Uh, Primo Levi, Tsvetan uh, Todorov, and many others who are uh, really talking about making moral concessions in order to survive. And uh, they are showing that life is not an ordinary life in these uh, extreme conditions. And uh, uh, the, the very uh, uh, the precondition to survive in this, uh, in this environment is to make concessions. Uh, concessions that nobody will make it in ordinary uh, circumstances. But here, in extreme conditions, you are obliged to do it in order to survive. How do you explain the fact that I have never read about this then, although I have read many a book on the Armenian Genocide? Uh, I think uh, from now on you will read about it, and <laughs> I, 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 I hope that uh, this book and uh, uh, my book, uh, and based on uh, the very rich uh, diary of Tabukchan, who is talking about these subjects, yeah, and about moral decline, about uh, doing concessions, uh, making concessions in order to survive, and uh, from now on it will be it will become a discipline, uh, which. Unfortunately, until now, doesn't existed. Uh, there is the the case of the Holocaust studies, where you can found such very phenomenal works based on uh, 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 the life in the Nazi camps, how uh, people survived in these con conditions, in extreme conditions. And uh, I hope that uh, this uh, discipline uh, will be also uh, something new and uh, will be followed by uh, new scholars. Uh, the same uh, the same direction in the Armenian studies. You say something new, but as far as I know from reading your book, these two bi diaries have been published quite some time ago, no? Uh, yes, both of them were published. Uh, they were published in uh, in Lebanon uh, in the 1980s. Uh, the one, uh, the diary of uh, Bogharian was published in a book, in an edited book by himself, where this diary is uh, is only a section, a chapter of that of that uh, general book, of, of that integral book, and the the diary of Tavukchan was also published in Beirut. Uh, so, but the main difference of uh, what I used during my studies uh, 
on uh, the studies that uh, finally uh, finally uh, gave this book as a result. And uh, the main difference that uh, I had the chance to found uh, the original uh, diary written by uh, by uh, by Tabukchan. I mean. The manuscript. I mean, it, it, it wasn't the manuscript. It was the typewritten uh, original. Uh, I mean, the the typewritten uh, version of the uh, of the manuscript, uh, and it was another priest who copied who type uh, typewritten uh, that manuscript. Uh, and uh, because yeah, the, the story is much more complicated because uh, uh, Father Tavukian was killed in the 1930s in Aleppo. Uh, that was completely another story, nothing to do with, uh, with I mean, with the genocide. He was killed in uh, uh, as as a priest uh, because of a decision that he made uh, concerning uh, a separation, uh, a divorce case uh, uh, in uh, in an Armenian family. So at the end, the the man w wasn't uh, satisfied with uh, with the decision, and uh, he uh, killed uh, uh, the the priest. Uh, so, uh, what can I say here that Tavukchan didn't have the occasion to to work, to rework on his on his diary? Because, uh, as we know in other cases, uh, sometimes and in many times, Armenians who wrote memoirs, who wrote diaries, we know that until the end of their life, they rework the the manuscript changing phrases, changing sentences, changing ideas, sometimes adapting the, uh, the sentences or the concepts or the, the ideas to the new ideologies of that period. So we know that this kind of changes happened very much in many memoirs, in many diaries. But in his case, as he was killed suddenly and, uh, uh, in Aleppo, he, had, he, he didn't have the occasion to rework on his diary. So what we have it's a typewritten from the original one, and this typewritten, I think that it's the original. Uh, uh, it's 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 corresponding to the original manuscript, and you can find there many details about the daily life uh, in uh, during genocide, uh, about the sicknesses of many family members, how he helped them, uh, in which conditions they died, uh, about. Uh, uh, critics uh, regarding uh, the behavior of many persons in the family or outside the family, members of the community, uh, the Islamization. He was very critic, uh, critical about uh, uh, this attitude or this uh, step that uh, most of the Armenians took at that time. Uh, Tavukchan himself, he was very critical. And uh, uh, so all these things uh, you can find in the typewritten original, but not in the published book. Uh, so the published book is, I can say, uh, it was uh, censored. I know your book just recently appeared in the Armenian original. Is there any plan to publish the diaries themselves in full, or at least Tavukchan's diary itself mm. in full in Armenian? Uh, the diary is not only on uh, the deportation period. It starts at in 1909 and it's finished until the the year when he was killed. I, that means in the 19 uh, in the 1930s. So it's a period of uh, uh, let's say 20 20 years, huh? uh, tw 20 years, and it's uh, or 20. 
26. Yeah, 26 years. Okay, <laughs> it's a period of 26 years, and it's covering a 26 years period, which which huge. So it's uh, the diary uh, can if if some some day there is a project to publish it, it will be different volumes of uh, of uh, diary. Of course, it will be very interesting because it's not only uh, so it's as, as I said, it's it's covering many periods, uh, 1909, uh, and we know for uh, the the genocide period as uh, it was used in my book, but there is also the period when he participated very actively to the Eintop resistance uh, in 1920-21, and then the life, uh, the new life in Aleppo. Uh, he, he was also a, a, an important uh, uh, participant to that new life in Aleppo as a priest, and it, there is very much interesting uh, episodes uh, of uh, the life of uh, Aintab Armenians in Aleppo, and he was very much traveling. Uh, he was traveling at that time. He was going from different uh, uh, parts of Syria, uh, from Aleppo. He was going to Munbuj uh, uh, or uh, uh, the, the north of Syria, uh, all these parts that, uh, as we know, uh, in present day, are it's it's a, a zone of conflict, and uh, he was traveling to Beirut many times with the Catholics of uh, of Cilicia, and he traveled many times to Jerusalem. And during all these uh, uh, travels, he's also describing the the life in that uh, city, the Armenian life, but also the general life. So it's it's a fascinating uh, work, his uh, his diaries. And of course, it's worth to publish them. But as I said, it will it will be a very costly uh, publication because of the uh, the the contents. It's very uh, big, and uh, and it will uh, it will at the end it will be different uh, uh, volumes of uh, of books. I also know from reading your book that he went to Adana after the pogroms there and helped reorganize Armenian life. That would be interesting as well, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. But unfortunately, we don't have that part of, uh, of the diary. <laughs> I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Is there any hope of finding it? Uh, I, I tried to, because there is a, a gap of a couple of years between 1909 and 1914. So that a, cup, uh, a gap of uh, yeah almost three years uh, and and this gap I never found it I I tried uh, among the persons who helped me to to to, to find the the typewritten manuscript but uh, no it wasn't possible there is a trace of that uh, of that period in one of the biographies or autobiographies of uh, of their uh, their nurses he he wrote an autobiography in 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 an Aleppo journal in the 1920s uh, an article an autobiography biographical article and there's a mention of uh, of that uh, part of the diary uh, i mean the the part when he was in adana after the 1909 massacres uh, that also means that he really that that, that part should be existed yeah it's, he he continued to uh, to keep a diary even uh, in the, during that period but uh, i never found the trace of that uh, of that diary or of that section of the diary For me, there were two very interesting things in this altogether very interesting book. One was a dramatic incident in which uh, the wife of one of the diarists had a brush with death. And the other was the afterword, which was about the Armenians' reception of the history of the genocide immediately after the genocide. But maybe you could say a little something about that 
first incident. I'm sure you're talking about the, the wife of uh, Father Nerses Tadukcian. That's it, and I'm sure that would interest our listeners as mm -hmm. well. Mm. Uh, this, this, this episode happened at the end uh, of, of the diary, I mean the diary uh, that uh, he kept during the genocide period. That means uh, it's May, July 1918, and uh, if we looked from our uh, point of view, uh, we know that in uh, October, September, October 1918, the Allied forces entered Syria, uh, Hamas, Adamiya, uh, were occupied by, by the Sharifian forces or the, by the British forces. And uh, so the life of the deportees changed. They were liberated. But uh, at that time, uh, although they, they, were, they were informed of what was happening on, on the front, but their life was still uh, the extreme conditions in, uh, uh, in Syria and Bilad al-Sham. In the life of uh, Father Tavukcian, for example, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very obvious. He, he was still living in extreme conditions, uh, not knowing what will happen in, uh, in after one month or after one day. And, uh, and in this uh, period happened the, uh, the, the, the sickness of many members of the families. It, during the same time, uh, the brother of uh, Derner says died, Hagop died. Then uh, Diruhi, the wife of Hagop, uh, died also. And uh, during all this time, uh, Anitza, the wife of uh, Nerses Tavukchan, was uh, helping uh, the sick, uh, Hagop, uh, Diruhi. And, uh, and he, she was also very much affected by all these uh, physical efforts and uh, helping the sick. And uh, we know that in May she, she, she became also sick. She, she had a high fever. And uh, every time uh, their nurses was trying to call the, the, the doctors, there were two doctors in the, in the whole Hama. Uh, one is, was Dr. Shukri, the, the other one was uh, Dr. Abdul Rahman. And, uh, and it wasn't very much, uh, it wasn't easy to, uh, to, to have doctors and, at that period because most of them, and it, it is also the case of uh, their nurses, they haven't the financial means to pay the doctors. Uh, and uh, so each time uh, she was, he was in debt to, uh, uh, just to call uh, doctors uh, and sometimes the doctors was not coming. So there is a whole episode when he, he's describing uh, how he was running from one uh, doctor to the other, calling them. The one is saying that I cannot today. Uh, the other one uh, was not at home. So there is, uh, there is this episode is really the... You can see uh, in 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 very uh, uh, very strong words the 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 real uh, extreme conditions of life in the, the, during the deportation. That's the one I was thinking of. Maybe you could just read a passage from it because it gives a very good idea of what life was like, especially at the end of this period for the Armenians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I, 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 can, I can read it. Uh, I will choose the, the end of uh, uh, this episode when after uh, trying to, uh, to find the doctors, uh, he, he is desperate, their nurse says he's desperate. Mm, and uh, yes, so he, he's still, he's, he, this is a, an episode when he's, uh, he's, he's looking for the doctors. Dr. Rahman, Abdul Rahman is uh, not at his house. And, uh, and Derner says, uh, here is back at home. 
uh, then he's again going uh, to find another doctor, but, and now I'm, I, will, uh, I will read, but the doctor refused on the grounds that their nurses lived too far away. By now it was midnight, exhausted, not knowing what else to do, with no one to help him, their nurses went back home without a doctor, once again putting his hope in his own words, in the chief physician, Jesus. Anitza was still in her dying agony. Then she nobbed off for a little while and we too went to bed. Early in the morning of 19 July, their nurses again tried to find Dr. Shukri, who finally came to see his patient at two o'clock in the afternoon. He found Anitza's fever had gone down, which he took as confirmation that the vaccination had had a positive effect. Over the next few days, her conditions actually did improve. Although her fever rose again, she gradually got better until early August. Some of the family survived then. I know his daughter died. You described that very graphically, but his wife survived, and of course he survived. Um, perhaps you could say a word or two about what happened afterwards, about how the Armenians reacted to this genocide, looking back on it. I ask because I found the afterword in which you say a word or two about that very, very impressive. The last episode that you are mentioning here is related to a speech, a speech that uh, uh, was made by uh, an, uh, an Ottoman parliament uh, deputy. Uh, his name is Artin uh, Fendi, Gezenyan or Bosch Gezenyan. Uh, and uh, he was also from Aintab, and uh, and I mentioned or I, I took his case as as a uh, in my in my prologue in my uh, in my afterward uh, because we know that Artin FND uh, is mentioned uh, many times in in the in in both diaries in in the diary of the nurses and in the diary of Bogarian. Uh, he's from Aintab, as I said. And during the time of uh, genocide, he was still a, a deputy because he was a member of the CUP uh, political party, uh, the main part, party of uh, the, the party organized the genocide. And he was a member of that party. And as a member of that party, he was uh, he, he he was evaded. Uh, he was uh, he was saved from uh, from genocide. But he continued to help some relatives, some Aintab compatriots uh, during that time, and. Uh, uh, so um, I took his case, uh, uh, the, the case of Artin Fendi, uh, in my afterward, because also we know that at the end uh, uh, his memory was uh, forgotten. He's, he's not mentioned anymore in uh, in, Har, uh, in Aintab publications. There is a huge volume on uh, uh, Aintab Armenians two volumes, or even three volumes uh, of, of a book. This is a Hushamadian genre of book. And his name is never mentioned. And this is also part of that collective oblivion, collective uh, forgetting that uh, many Armenians uh, in post-genocide period experienced. And uh, so coming uh, about this speech, uh, we know that just after the armistice, uh, so in November 1918, uh, during a debate uh, in the Ottoman parliament, uh, Artin Efendi took the floor and he started to talk about uh, what happened uh, in, uh, uh, to the Armenians during the, this war period. So it's, it was about the genocide. Uh, 
uh, and he uh, criticized very much the uh, the government, the COP government, as the uh, perpetrator of the genocide. He also mentioned the participation of uh, uh, of the Turks, uh, of the ordinary Turks, Turks to that uh, to that genocide. But at the end, he said that the Turkish uh, nation as a whole is not responsible for the genocide, and. Uh, so he was, first of all, criticized by his Turkish colleagues because he was criticizing the government. Uh, he was uh, saying that the responsibility is also on the shoulder of the government, but also on many Turks, who part ordinary Turks who participated. He was very much, he, he was criticized by uh, the, his colleagues in the parliament. He was attacked verbally by, by uh, his colleagues. But also there was a, just after the speech, uh, the 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 second day, the, uh, the, uh, the Armenian press uh, started a campaign against, uh, against Artin Effendi. So the fact that uh, he was saying that the Turkish nation is not responsible, that was already uh, 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 an insult to many Armenians, and they started to verbally uh, accuse uh, uh, Artin Effendi as a traitor, as a, as, as a person who is uh, who should uh, shut up and uh, and uh, and uh, stay in the corner and this kind of uh, verbal attacks it was it was very important in the Armenian press not only in Istanbul but it so it also happened in elsewhere uh, in Armenian press for example in Armenian newspapers in Aleppo in Izmir in Egypt uh, so it was an, an, a, a, a really a, a, a general campaign against. Artin uh, FND's uh, speech where he was mentioning that the Turkish nation is not responsible of the genocide, but the responsibility is on the shoulder of the government. Uh, so, and uh, for him, it was very strange times. This, and this is a very typical for uh, persons like him, a category of persons like him, uh, very much involved in Ottoman Armenian life. Uh, for him, there is no other options outside the imperial uh, coexistence of different people, different uh, groups, different uh, uh, languages, different societies, different cultures. That was part of his uh, ordinary life. And uh, he was not understanding what is happening in post-genocide, in post-war period in the whole world. Uh, so the whole world was talking about the Wilsonian, Wilsonian Woodrow Wilson's uh, uh, new deal uh, about the self-determination of peoples, uh, about the right of every nation to have its own national state. So that was the very popular concepts in post-war period, in post-genocide period. But for him, he was really uh, not understanding this new uh, uh, new way of thinking about uh, about about life. Uh, outside the imperial context. What did the future look like from his point of view? How did he envision? I think for uh, persons like Artin Effendi and many others, uh, that many others that uh, in post-genocide period, we, did, uh, we don't, uh, uh, their voices were silenced in a way. But there was a category of persons like Artin Effendi, a very important category in my opinion, uh, that they were thinking that there was still possibility uh, to live in such multicultural, uh, multilinguistic uh, uh, societies, like the, the imperial context, perhaps the 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 the. 
the ruler will be different, uh, as he's, he's saying also in his speech, yeah, and that uh, only democracy, only justice could bring uh, Armenians and Turks together. This is, this is also part of his speech. Huh? The, uh, so he's still thinking that uh, uh, the, if we change the context, if uh, justice and democracy will be base of this society, of this new order, this imperial order, uh, people like Turks, nations like Turks and uh, Armenians could still coexist. That was his, uh, his main uh, uh, way of thinking. Was that realistic? Were there Turks who thought that way? Uh, this is very interesting because uh, uh, I'm, I have the impression that this one or two years in Istanbul, mainly in Istanbul, which was, as you know, after the armistice, it was occupied by the uh, Allied forces, mainly by the British. Uh, this kind of debate existed. Uh, this kind of debate about uh, what happened during uh, World War One, what happened during the genocide. Uh, for example, the Armenian press, they were the main instigator of that debate, but the Turkish uh, press was also participating to that debate. For example, to forgive or to punish, to remember or to forget. And, uh, and for me, it seems that the debate could have developed further and uh, taking on uh, fundamental significance in the, let's say, formation of the modern post-war Ottoman society that persons like Artin Effendi himself saw, uh, uh, they, they were championing it, huh? this, this kind of uh, 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 formation of, of, uh, of a modern post-war Ottoman society. And... Uh, I don't know. We know the case of Germany uh, later uh, went through such a, a process uh, when there was a, a debate also in Germany in post-Second World War Germany around the central issues of collective guilt. This is a very important part of the post-Second World War German society or the collective liability and collective responsibility for the Nazi crimes. So this happened in Germany. In Turkey, in the Ottoman uh, Empire, after the First World War, it was again happening. We know the, the case of this one year or one, one and a half year when there was, there was really a debate about this kind of major issues. Uh, and, uh, but we know also what happened later. Huh? The Kemalis came and uh, the, the whole process was stopped uh, uh, violently. And, uh, and Turkey became what is no, uh, what, what we know uh, now. Huh? It's, it's, uh, it's the nationalist uh, uh, ideas, concepts that uh, at the end were victorious. And, uh, and with the arrival of the Kemalism, this kind of debate, there was no space of this kind uh, of debate in Turkish society. I must say I'm a little skeptical myself, in part because I've translated recently a number of texts written by Armenians in occupied Istanbul, from 1919 to 1922. These people were persuaded that their side had finally triumphed. The Allies were going to create an Armenia, and these Armenians stood 100% on the side of the Allies. There was no question of living together with Turks in a common state after 1919, and I must also say I can understand that, given the experience that Perhaps the Istanbul Armenians themselves had not been through, but that the rest of the Armenian population in the Ottoman Empire had endured. Do you think it was at all realistic? Were there 
a number of other Armenians who perhaps didn't raise their voices, but were also looking to the kind of future that Artin Efendi envisaged? I think in the Armenian case, the genocide played a major role in creating this kind of gulf between uh, two societies, the Armenians and, uh, and, and the Turks. And, uh, but it's, uh, we should not forget that the Wilsonian uh, concepts of self-determination, uh, it became not only dominant among Armenians, but among all uh, in post-First uh, uh, World War uh, societies, not only in the Middle East, not only in the former Ottoman Empire, but also in the, in the Tsarist Russia, in, uh, in, 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 in Eastern Europe. So it became really the dominant current. And uh, of course, the Armenians were also influenced by this kind of uh, new thinking, new concepts of uh, where every uh, nation, every national group should have its own nation state. Uh, it became really the, the, the current, the uh, the, the dominant current. But in the same time, I don't think that uh, uh, persons, or, or I think that persons like Artin Efendi existed among uh, Armenians. Uh, he was the first one to talk about this topic, that, that Armenians could coexist to live with, uh, with Turks in, in a different context, where, uh, in a context where uh, justice will prevail, where democracy will prevail. He was the first to talk about it, and it was in the beginning, just after the armistice. He was silenced very brutally by, uh, against, there was a brutal campaign against him, uh, where not only he was attacked uh, for his ideas, but he was attacked for, uh, as a person. And, uh, and I think that from, from that period, uh, such voices were silenced. I mean, silenced not uh, because there was an oppression on them, but silenced because they were conscious that th th there was not, not a, a place for them to uh, develop their ideas, to develop their, uh, their concepts of coexistence. Uh, the times have changed, radically have, times have changed. Genocide became a means of silencing uh, this kind of uh, uh, protagonists, this kind of people who, who, who dare to speak uh, about the coexistence uh, of uh, different societies in the imperial context or in, in a context that will be a continuation of the imperial context.